Praise the Lord. Well, good morning again. It's so good to see you out this morning. If you have your Bibles, we want to go to Matthew 21. We want to start there. We'll read two We'll read two texts this morning of the same story, but it'll give us a little different information so we can. Matthew 21, verse number one, and we'll read the first 11 verses before we go to Luke's gospel. Amen. Matthew 21 and verse one, the Bible says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, if you would, go to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 19. Luke's Gospel. Chapter 19. And Luke just adds a couple different things in there for us and we can combine them. Luke, the 19th chapter, verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. He went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And we'll stop with verse 41. As they approached Jerusalem, and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. Jesus, we're used as a title this morning, The Coming King. The Coming King. Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem begins the last week of His earthly life. We traditionally call this Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. Jesus was unquestionably claiming Himself to be King. 
a king, of course, that was different from what men usually conceived when they, they thought, what the people expected. He was claiming to be a king of peace, a king of salvation. Now, Jerusalem at Passover time was the delight to the Jews and the despair of the Romans. Thousands and thousands of devout Jews would um, fill the city from all over the world. They would come and fill the city, and the nationalistic fervor and religious zeal would be at an all-time high, would begin to stir and begin to rise, and the population of the city would pretty much triple in that short time, and therefore would make it necessary for Rome to increase their military presence and have their soldiers on their high alert and no doubt, beyond all this, the religious community is wondering, what will that prophet from Nazareth named Jesus, what will he do? We want to break down our thoughts this morning into three main headings. Number one, the, the preparation. The preparation of his coming. Number two, the celebration of his coming. And number three, the lamentation of his coming. Number one, we begin with the preparation. We see that in verses 28 through 34. The Lord is about to do something here that really He hasn't done before. In fact, usually He's telling people, don't say anything. Go show yourself to the priest. He's not looking for it. But, but here, He's going to prompt and encourage and permit His followers to give Him a public demonstration of praise and honor, something He had never done. But now times are different. He's presenting Himself to Israel as their long-awaited King. So Jesus, to start things off, he sent two of his disciples to go ahead of him to get the colt that he could ride on into the city. Now, in ancient days, the donkey was a noble beast. The donkey was a noble animal. It was used, of course, for, um, for bearing burdens and for work. But in Jewish history, it was also used by the kings. Kings rode the donkey. When a king entered a city in peace, they rode a colt of a donkey to symbolize their peaceful intentions opposed to a conquering king. When a king entered a city and he was there to conquer, he would ride a stallion or a war horse. So Jesus was coming and he was claiming to be their king, claiming to be Israel's Messiah, a king of peace, of salvation, a king that was coming to reconcile lost men to a holy and waiting God. And though there was a price at this time on Jesus' head, if you know your story, Lazarus had been raised and they're out to kill him now and things are turning and though a price is on his head courageously and publicly, in spite, in fact, in, in um, what's the word we want to use? Um, in defiance of all the religious powers that might be, Jesus Christ boldly comes to the city and presents himself as Israel's long-awaited king. Now, Jesus had told the disciples, He said, Now, when you're untying that colt, if anyone asks you, what are you doing? You just tell them that the Lord needs it. And that's good to know because the Lord needs you and the Lord needs me. The Lord needs it. Be loosed and serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your mind. But we ask ourselves, well, why did the Lord need it? Well, number one, the Lord needed it. Number one, to fulfill prophecy. To fulfill prophecy. As he declared himself to be king, Jesus was also fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah from approximately 500 years earlier. Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king is coming. He comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So number one, why was Jesus coming like this? Number one, he was fulfilling prophecy. Number two, he was causing the religious leaders to act. He was prompting them to action. He was setting in motion what would lead to his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. You see, originally the religious leaders said, we won't arrest them during the feast. There's too many people. There might be a riot. It's not a good thing to do. But God was in control of everything. And God said, no, the Lamb of God must be sacrificed during the Passover. During the Passover. Every previous attempt that the Jews had to make Jesus stumble, to trip Him up, to expose Him so they could arrest Him, it failed every time, if you remember. But now His hour had come. And when they see this public demonstration, the Jewish leaders simply say, we have to act. We have to do something. It was part of God's plan that they didn't even know they were part of. They were actually cooperating with God to see His will done in the earth. It's an interesting thing how God rules and God reigns. You see, even over the death of Jesus, God the Father was in complete control. God was in control orchestrating events using even wicked men. To do the will of God in the earth. His will and His way for His glory. For, or in His perfect timing. And we see this. And we are reminded this morning as the children of God that our God rules over the affairs of men. He rules over your life. He rules over my life. It might seem like at times God is silent. It might seem like times God is absent. There might seem like there's times when we're wondering, God, you don't seem to be doing much, but never ever despair. God is working. God is ruling. God is watching over your every step. He knows every hair on your head. He knows the end from the beginning. We look at the beautiful story of Palm Sunday, the coming of our Lord, and we see the prophetic words of 500 years coming to pass. We see that even the wicked men that thought they were snuffing out the plan of God were actually submitting to the plan of God. And it's a beautiful thing to know that our God reigns and our God rules. It's a beautiful thing to know that as sons and daughters of the living God, our Father is in control and therefore His children ought to be at peace and at comfort as they walk through this life. Can you say amen? The preparation... We learn a couple of things. We learn, number one, from the disciples' example, that when the Lord tells you to do something, just go and do it. But Lord, well, what if? What if? Don't get caught up in the what ifs. Just make sure you know the Lord spoke. Get a donkey, but, but Lord, they, they, they hang people around here for that. We're, we're in the south, the west. They, they don't do that. You know, they, they'll. It's all right. Do what I tell you to do. And if anyone asks you, just tell them the Lord needs it. Many people have been hindered in their obedience because they let their brain get in the way of their faith. They would struggle and they wonder why. Don't wonder why if you know he spoke. That's called faith. That's called trust. Peter just said, let me hear the word come and that's all that it'll take. I'll set aside the human reasoning. I'll set aside the common fears. And I'll step out on your word because I know if God said it, he'll do it. 
If God spoke it, He'll bring it to pass. We learn from the preparation, even in the preparing of our lives, even in the preparing of God unfolding His plan in our lives. He doesn't show us all the picture at once. He shows us bits and pieces and asks us to obey according to the light we have received. And as those disciples went and just obeying the Lord, He said, go to a certain place. We're going to see a donkey. Well, I guess He knows what He's doing. We'll find the donkey. We'll take the donkey. If anyone asks, all we got to do is say these words and they'll say, no problem at all. It's simple, isn't it? But yet takes faith to obey such a word. We learn from our story this morning that we don't have to have it all figured out and have to know all completely the plan. We just need to be assured that God has spoke to us, that God is sending us. Then we can trust God to unfold His plan and work all things together for good. Can I get an amen? We learn under preparation that secondly, as God fulfills prophecy, that prophet spoke some about 500 years earlier this prophetic word. And again, it shows us how we can be completely confident in the word of God. That we serve a God that is faithful to keep his promises. And you might say, well, the Lord's promised this and the Lord spoke this to my heart and it's been so long. Friend, if it was God and you keep believing, God's going to bring his word to pass. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he'll change his mind. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. So you just keep trusting and you keep believing. Hey, I can tell you one thing. You haven't been waiting 500 years. That I can be pretty sure about. Amen. So maybe you're waiting on a promise. If it was God, keep waiting. Give him praise before the answer even comes. And know that God's word will come to pass. The preparation of his entry. It shows us so much, it reminds us so much about how the sovereign care and control of our God ought to be able to put within the heart of the believer an eternal comfort and confidence as we walk through this life. We can rest in that care. I like the way one author described it. He used a simple illustration, but it made sense after I read it a couple times. He says, for instance, that little three or four-year-old boy feels secure in his father's arms, his dad stands in the middle of the pool, just, you know, a little, little three foot, you know, three and a half foot pool here. But dad, for fun, begins to walk over to the deeper section, maybe four foot, slowly chanting deeper, deeper, deeper. Well, as the water rises higher, higher, the little guy's face registers an increasing degree of panic, panic. He holds more tightly to his father, who is just walking on the, on the bottom. Now, had the little boy analyzed the situation, the writer says, he would have realized there's no reason for increased anxiety. The water's depth in any part of the pool was over his head. Even in the shallowest part, he, had he not been held up, he would have went under. His safety anywhere in that pool depended on Father's arms. You know, at various points in our lives, all of us feel like we're getting out of our depth. Maybe you get a bad medical report. Maybe problems are just overwhelming. Maybe there's a loss of a job. Maybe someone dies or someone leaves you. And our temptation in the natural is to panic and despair for we feel like we've lost control. Yet as with the child in the pool, here's the truth. We've never been in control over the most valuable things of life in reality. We've always been held to by the glorious grace of our God and our Father. And i got good news. That will not change. God is never out of His depth. And we are never out of His care. We're as safe when we're going deeper, deeper than we ever have been in the shallows. God's control in God's care. We see it in the preparation. Number two, the celebration. Look, if you would, at verses 35 through 40. Luke 19, 35 through 40. 
The preparation of the event shows us the great sovereign care and control of God, which should bring to our heart a comfort and a confidence. But now the celebration. Verse 34. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Peace in heaven. Glory to God. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. But he replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. Now, the time had come for God's salvation plan was getting ready to reach its climax. And many in the crowd recognized Jesus as the prophet, as the miracle worker, as the one that had done so many marvelous and mighty acts. And they began to celebrate and they began to praise and they began to create really a triumphant entry. That's where we get the thought from. And now, this word triumphant entry is interesting. The Roman historians tell us If you ever see a Roman triumph, they said it was something to behold. It was breathtaking. Um, After a great victory, if a Roman general achieved certain challenging military objectives, they would be welcomed back to Rome with what they called a triumphant entry, a triumphant parade. It would really just shut down the city. There would be the gold chariot that the general would ride in. Before him would be the legions and legions of soldiers. And they, they, they'd bring in the, um, the cavalrymen all dressed in their finest Roman garb. And, of course, the, the priests would go before them, turning their incense, filling the city with the fragrance. And the thousands and thousands would fall out of the windows and line the streets. And behind them would come all the spoils and the prisoners of war leading to the great Colosseum that was packed and where they'd go on and on. Now, that was a Roman triumph. Now, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in the natural, of course, wasn't so dramatic. But thank God it was certainly glorious and certainly triumphant in every real sense of the word. We understand that Jesus is going into the city and they're going to praise Him for a while, but those praises are fickle and those praises are short-lived. We recognize He's going into the city and they're not going to crown Him Lord of Lords. He's going into a city, they're going to put a crown of thorns on His head. We recognize as we look back and we know the story, He's headed to the cross. But we who know the Bible, we understand the cross was not a tragedy. The cross was a triumphant victory. It was God's plan unfolding perfectly and excellently and sovereignly just as God had designed it to do and man couldn't afford it. It was as the, the apostle wrote, the just was getting ready to die for the unjust, to bring you and I to God, to make a way that whosoever will can come. What a glorious gospel we have. Whosoever will can come. You can come and you can come and you can receive forgiveness and you can receive power to live this life and you can receive a purpose to live for the living God and fulfill your eternal destiny. It's all found in Jesus Christ and we know the cheers would go from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify Him, crucify 
stuff on. But through it all, God is working His plan. And it's a good plan. It's a loving plan. It's a compassionate plan. It's a plan that had you on the heart of God. And you on the heart of God. And it's a plan that means whosoever will. I can have my sins forgiven. I can have my burdens lifted. I can have life with hope and destiny. Blessed be His name. I rejoice in my Redeemer. But He did all things well. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Christ's triumph. Oh, it might not have been as artistically powerful and moving as the Roman triumph. But it was a triumph just the same. It was a triumph of love over hatred. It was a triumph of truth over error. It was a triumph of life over death. It was a triumph of love over hatred. For the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The King was coming at that point not to rule on the throne, but to give His life as a ransom for many. For God is demonstrating His love in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It was a triumph that day of the victory and the love of God over the hatred of man that tried to halt His salvation plan and reject His salvation plan and keep men in bondage and keep men in darkness, but pray Praise the Lord. The love of God has triumphed. Praise be to the name. The love of God has overcome. It was a triumph of truth over error. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And in the end, God's truth will always triumph. And that truth triumphed over the deceptions of the false religions and the false philosophies and all the things that men tried to do to earn their righteousness before God. Those things that were false and those things that were deceptive. But Jesus came. The prophets said it like this. Those that were living in darkness have seen a great light, the light of God's truth and the light of God's revelation. The veil was taken away. The darkness was shunned back. The black cloudy eyes eyes of blind humanity, it was taken away that they might see their need and they might see their Savior and they might understand the good plan of God to forgive them and transform them and use them in a glorious way. On the cross of Calvary, it was not a tragedy. It was a glorious victory. It was a victory of of love over hatred and of truth over error, of life over death. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 1 and 10, that Jesus Jesus destroyed death. That by His death, He abolished death. He overcame death. It's a glorious thing. The power of the cross. Jesus brought life. Abundant life. Eternal life. Immortality to life. As He destroyed death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And every one of us that have sinned had the death sentence on their hearts. But Jesus came to set us free. And death and sin and hold us no more. Blessed be to the triumphant King. Can you say amen? Jesus came. The King came. Palm branches and fleeting praise on that Sunday, on this Sunday. Thank God next Sunday's coming. Resurrection and eternal glory forever and forevermore. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, my Lord, the King is coming. Tell your neighbor the King is coming. The King is coming. Yeah, 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 He's coming. He wants you. He wants to talk to you.
He wants to deal with you. He wants to work in you. The king is coming. Don't ignore the king. The king is, stop it all, put it, put it down. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is, have an ear to hear. The king wants to speak to your heart. Have a heart that's ready to receive the command from the commander in chief. The king is coming. They rejoiced, verse 37, they rejoiced on that day. Oh, it must have been a beautiful day. And you and I can continue to rejoice and keep on rejoicing. But as we know the end of the story that Jesus has triumphed. He's triumphed for you and He's triumphed for me. And, and they praise God for all the, the Bible says, for all the miracles they've seen. And hey, we've seen our share of miracles. We've experienced our share of the blessings and mercies of God. Salvation's the greatest miracle there ever is. How many this morning have received the great salvation? How many can give God a praise for the salvation? The miracle. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah! We can rejoice from now till God we see Him face to face and then for eternity. We're part of that crowd. They just had a little understanding of what was going on. But man, we all be a people that are celebrating people. Amen? These Sunday mornings it's time to celebrate. It's time to rejoice. It's time to lift up the One that is altogether lovely. It's time to praise Him who is awesome and glorious, who saved us from darkness. He's here healed us. He's provided for us. He's protected us. He's brought us through so many toils, dangers, and snares. Has God been good to you this morning? Oh, then bless His name. Hallelujah! Don't ever get tired of praising Him. Don't ever get tired of living boldly and unashamedly for the One that's done so much. For all. For who He is and all that He's done, we give Him praise. And for the wonderful things, he's getting ready. Somebody get ready. For the wonderful things, he's getting ready to do. Go ahead and praise him. God's getting ready. God's getting ready. Your miracle's closer than when you first believed. God's getting ready. That answer is closer than when God's getting ready. He's getting ready to work in that situation. He's getting ready to invade that situation. He, the devil, is a liar. What you see is not the reality. God's getting ready to move in that life. God's getting ready to show Himself strong on your behalf. God is getting ready to unfold His plan, to open His door, to speak a word of rebuke that will make the enemy scatter. God is getting ready. Are you ready for the moving of the Lord? Are you ready for the moving of the Lord? Bless His name. Hallelujah. Oh, they praised Him. They blessed Him. And we can carry on that glorious privilege of worshiping the King of glory. But we have much more to praise Him about than they did. We have much more to shout about than they could ever comprehend. Hallelujah. We see in verse 39 that they said, Hush him. Teacher, tell him to hush. Religious crowd still gets nervous if you get too happy about Jesus. Amen? You know, they act like dopes on the job and they can do their foolishness. You want to be happy about Jesus and they, you know, don't push it on me. Well, don't push your slop on me then. Amen. Come on, say amen. Men and devils still try to quiet our shout. They attempt to silence us from praising the precious name of Jesus. The only name given to men whereby we must be saved. The name that at one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Hallelujah. The name and the person of Jesus Christ is still a stumbling block. An offense to some. But to us who believe. Any believers here this morning? 
Hey, but to us who believe the power of God and the glory of God and the salvation of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Three things about our praise. Number one, praising Jesus is proper. Someone say it's proper. The Bible says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Most worthy of praise. We live in a world, they praise everything. Amen. They praise whoremongers. I mean, they praise, they praise people that are abominations. You know, they, they, isn't that right? They, you know, they put your face on a stamp. I mean, they, they just, oh, it's a wicked world. We want to praise Him who's lovely. We'll praise Him who is worthy. Amen. We'll praise Him in whom there was no sin. We'll praise Him that loved us so much that He took off the royal robes of divinity to come down and take on the form of a servant and lay Himself on a cross that you might be forgiven and I might be forgiven. He's worthy of praise. Understand something about praise. Jesus is worthy of our praise. Praising the Lord is a proper thing. It's a fitting thing. It's an appropriate thing. It's a becoming thing. But He's worthy of it. He He's deserving of it. He's altogether lovely. His name and His name alone is the esteemed name and the exclusive name and the excellent name and the exalted name. So when it comes to praising Him, and not just in the service, I know I mean in the service, but beyond when we're here, when it means just praising Him with your life and praising Him with your obedience and praising Him with your witness on the job, understand and never let anyone quench it or shout it down. Praising the Lord Living wholeheartedly for God is the proper thing. It's the perfect thing. It's the acceptable thing. Can I get an amen? Praising Jesus is proper. And praising Jesus is powerful. You know, the psalm writer likened praise. He's using the the picture words here. Likened praise to a two-edged sword in our mouths. You know, back in that day, one of the strongest weapons that Roman legionnaire had that two-edged sword. It cut you going in, cut you going out. It was a, and, and you know, last week we last week we finished Daniel. We finished our study in Daniel and spiritual warfare. Daniel's praying, and we see, you know, the God pulls back the veil, and we can understand what's going on in the heavenlies. And so, you know, praise is powerful because it's part of our spiritual warfare. Praise becomes a weapon. When the believer exalts the Lord, boastfully, confidently declares the greatness, the faithfulness, the beauty of his God and his salvation. Friend, that deflects spiritual attacks. That deflates and disposes of spiritual oppressions. That, that, that defeats spiritual schemes of the adversary. There's something about praising the Lord that has a spiritual power that affects things in the spiritual realm. It's hard for the carnal to understand that. It's impossible for the lost to understand that. But for them that have an ear to hear and understand the things of the Scripture, we recognize not only is our praise proper, but when we praise the Lord and we exalt Him and we love Him and we honor Him, it releases the working of the holy angels. It releases 
releases the working of the Holy Spirit in such a glorious and powerful way where it silences the ugliness of men. It breaks the strongholds of hell. It brings forth the victory that has been long awaited for. So don't you ever cease to praise Him. In fact, understanding that praise is a weapon ought to give us a little hint that when things are hardest, it's when I ought to praise the loudest. When, when things are darkest, it's when I want to shout the longest. When, when things don't look good, it's when faith says, by faith I'll praise Him. Anyone can praise Him when it's going good. Anyone can praise Him when I'm feeling good. But men and women of faith recognize He's worthy whether I feel it or not. He's glorious whether I can redeem it or not. But I'm going to bless Him and honor Him. And praise is proper. And praise is powerful. And praise is pleasant to the heart and to the soul of God. I want you to know praise pleases the heart of the living God. That our praise is something that blesses Him and honors Him. And the Bible would say, they would use the word, to the nostrils of God, it is a pleasant aroma. It is a pleasing aroma. And if you love God and you want to please God, one of the most precious things you can do is just learn how to praise God and just learn how to love God and just learn how to express how much you appreciate what He's done and how much you honor Him for who He is and just bless Him. Oh, somebody say Amen. There's a celebration going on. But not everyone gets excited when you celebrate the things of God, do they? Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Praising the Lord is pleasant and pleasing. Often it's offensive and frustrating, confusing to men. But the heart of the Almighty is well pleased. His name is exalted. Preparation of the triumphant entry. The celebration of the triumphant entry. But number three, the the lamentation of the triumphal entry. While the crowd was rejoicing, Jesus was weeping. Look at verse 41 if you could. Verse 41. Jesus looks on the city. Hallelujah. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Hmm. God weeps. Anybody? God weeps. He weeps for his. They rejected his love. They refused his salvation. They they resisted. They resisted his drawing. They renounced his rule. And he weeps. He wept, and the Bible says it was a loud, it was a grieved, it was a brokenness of heart. Because no matter where he looked that day, he saw a reason to weep. He looked behind him and he saw how the nation had wasted that opportunity. They had become ignorant of the time of his visitation, and they had so much privilege. No one had such privilege. And then he looks within and he sees the spiritual blindness of a nation that had the law and had the prophets and had the Word. How the hearts had grown hard and their eyes became spiritually blind. They should have known who He was and their leaders should have recognized and led them into that truth instead of keeping them in the darkness. And then He looks around, He looks around, He looks around. And He sees a lot of religious activity, but very little religious fruit. He looks around and He sees so much emptiness 
though very active. That the temple had become corrupted. That the place that was to be a house of prayer had now become a den of thieves. And then he looks ahead and he sees what the future holds because they renounced and rejected the coming of the Lord. He saw that at 70 A.D. the Romans would come and just lay waste the city. Hundreds of thousands would die. There'd be a siege. They'd burn it to the ground. They'd run it over. All because, and you can read it later on, farther on, verse 44, because they didn't respond to His appearing. They didn't recognize His coming. Hmm. You know, terrible things happen when we miss God's plan for our life. Terrible things happen when we fail to respond to the call and opportunity that God brings to our hearts. He looked and He wept. We look and we learn. We learn two things here. Number one, we learn that God's great love will not force itself on any man. God's great love won't force itself on a person. We've got to receive it. He wept because he knew they were crying one thing, but by the end of the week, we know the story. He wept because though they were emotionally acting now, things would happen in the nation as a whole, and the leadership would say no to their king who came to bring them peace. But if we reject the peace of God, what do we have left? So we learn that God's great love won't force itself on a person. But secondly, we also see that God's great love won't shield us from the consequences of our choices. Those choices will run their course if we miss the time of God's invitation and God's visitation. Aren't you glad here this morning that you responded? Aren't you glad that when He knocked on the door of your heart, you said yes? Aren't you glad that when the King of Peace came to you offering the peace with God and peace of God and salvation and eternity, you didn't run, you didn't turn, you said, yes, Lord, and you responded and you bowed your heart to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You've got to ask the question, is Jesus your King? If you can hear me, is Jesus your King? In the nursery, in the, is Jesus your King? Or is he weeping over your life? Or is he weeping over your life? Or is he weeping over what could have been, should have been, what's coming because you aren't responding? You see, when God pursues a man, when God calls out to a person, it's to bless their life, not to hurt or hinder their life. Oh, the heart of God. I read this story. It's a true story. Back in the 80s, back in the 80s, glorious decade, back in the 80s, a radio station reported a story about a stolen car in California. And the police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even to the point of putting announcements on local radio stations. Now, on the front seat of the stolen car was a box of crackers. Unknown to the thief were laced with poison. The car owner had tended to use the crackers as rat bait. Now the police and the owner of the whole VW bug were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to recover the car. And the writer says, so often when we run from God, we feel it's to escape his punishment 
But what we're actually doing is eluding His rescue. God pursues us and He calls to us to bless our lives, not to hurt our lives, to bring His salvation, to bring His peace, to restore our lives to the purpose and the destiny that God Almighty intended from our mother's womb. Oh, here comes the King. Here comes the King. As we wind down this message, very simply, is your heart right with the King? Can you say 100% Jesus is my King? Could you walk the streets and if you were asked, could you declare with confidence, Jesus is my King? If not, I want you to know He's calling you today. He's inviting you to come today. Don't let the Savior weep over your life. Let the Savior rejoice that you've accepted His salvation and you've allowed Him to be your King and to be your Lord and to be your Master. That's what you were created for. That's where you'll find the greatest purpose and joy of life in. Secondly, if you're doing good today, I want you to remember these thoughts. This story not only shows us the great love of God, but also the sovereign control and working of God, as we said in the first few points. To you and I that are believers, we can have complete assurance that as we do our part to walk with God, God will work things together for good. God will go before us. God will even make the things that don't look like they're good to become good if we let Him and if we follow Him. So if you need prayer, I want to invite you to come down and pray in just a minute. And if you're doing good today, would you just, ah, it's early, so we've got a good, I, I, I could have went longer, it's early. Would you mind taking a few minutes and just praising your king before you go? Can we do that? We can't let those people 2,000 years ago beat us out, man. They didn't even understand the blood, all right? They didn't understand what was going on like we do. Can we just spend some moments? Can we sing? And can we praise? And we can love the Lord? Can we just rejoice? The king is coming, amen? The king is coming. Go ahead and stand, and we're going to pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, that you did come. We thank you, Jesus. You could have passed us by, oh God. You could have passed us by. You could have ignored us. You could have done without us, but you chose to come to us. Oh, Jesus. In the same way you came to Jerusalem all those many, many years ago, you've come to each one of us personally and powerfully. You've made yourself known to us. You came not as a king of judgment, not as a, but as a king of peace and a king of mercy and a king of bringing salvation. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for the great salvation You brought into our lives. We choose this day to praise You and bless You and honor You for it. We choose this day not to be silent, but to give You the glory and the honor that You are worthy of. Oh, Jesus, we thank You for what You did when You saved us. And we thank You for all that You've done in between, how You've kept us and You've been protective of us and You've been full of mercy towards us. And Lord, we thank You for what You shall do because we know the best is yet to come. And we know you've got good things in store for our lives. And you're going to bring your promises to pass. And you're going to work things for the good. And we've got victory in store for the upright. And that's us today. So Lord Jesus, as we spend this time just praising and blessing you, let your heart be glad. Oh, let your heart be glad. And Lord, we also pray if there be anyone within the sound of my voice, they're wavering. 
that today be the day they do not put it off. They make their choice and they make a bold choice to declare Jesus is my king. And they will serve him and honor him. If there's anyone here, oh God, that has been resisting your call, rejecting, trying to ignore the drawing of your spirit, Today, let there be a surrender. Today, let there be a response of faith to believe, to surrender, to say yes to the King and to His call. Lord, we pray as we minister, laying hands on the sick and the afflicted, We pray, Lord Jesus, you said all power and authority in heaven and earth is yours. You're here this morning. Your power is here this morning. Lord Jesus, let your power demonstrate itself in a marvelous measure. Healing, delivering, transforming. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Let's worship the King. If you need prayer, come. Come quick and believe God. Let's give him praise.